Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today in the show, we have the head coach of Bucknell Women's Lacrosse, Remington Steele. Coach Steele was a graduate of Limestone University where his team made three Final Four appearances. He started his coaching career at Limestone before moving on to be the lead assistant at Vermont. He then went to Furman where he was the goalies coach, defensive coordinator, and recruiting coordinator. Then, in the summer of 2017, he took over as the head coach of Bucknell Women's Lacrosse. Coach Steele and I get a chance to talk about a lot of things like learning by doing, getting buy-in, working towards a common goal, and much more. Here's my interview with Coach Steele. Coach Steele, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, I'm excited to get to talk, but let's get started like I always do. How'd you get started playing lacrosse? Um, I started playing lacrosse uh, in spring of eighth grade. Um, I played ice hockey and just switched to a, a new school, and we didn't have a hockey team or anything like that. And hmm. um, I had some health issues as a, a young kid with uh, my kidneys, so lacrosse was always on the list of sports that I was never supposed to play, never allowed to play. Hmm. Um, and I kind of took, you know, going to this new school, a lot of the kids at the school played lacrosse, all that stuff, so I kind of took that as my opportunity to uh kind of guilt trip my mom into letting me play lacrosse <laughs> so eighth grade was the first time that you picked up a stick yeah that's right gotcha. I, I mean i i did have a stick uh you know like i said i was never allowed to play um for a team or in a league or anything like that but mm-hmm. you know my mom when i was uh younger got me a stick and ironically it was a girl stick mm-hmm. um so <laughs> everything kind of came back full circle but i'd throw around with it a little bit from time to time but for the most part uh you know eighth grade was the first time I really, um, you know, ever played with other people or anything like that. Gotcha. And then, so how did you work on picking up the game? Um, who taught you how to play? Um, you know, I think, uh, there are a bunch of people that, that played a big part, you know, my neighbor next door, um, he was a couple years older than me was on, you know, the high school team at the time. So he kind of helped show me the ropes a little bit. Right. Um, and then, you know, Colin Cutler and uh, Bill Elliott and Craig Anderson were my high school, middle school coaches. They run the Hillcrest High School program out in Dallas, Texas, and they've gotcha. done a lot of really great things for the sport. And, um, you know, taking it into like the South Dallas area and mm-hmm. the uh, public school area in Dallas where it wasn't super prevalent before that. And, right. um, you know, they did a really, really good job of um you know, making the program and making the sport accessible to, to different types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also great leaders and coaches and all that. So, right. so they were a huge asset, um, to me as I was kind of learning to play. 
Gotcha. And uh, and you mentioned a few before, but what other sports did you play um, at that age? So, you know, I played a little bit of everything, um, you know, as I was younger. Um, but, uh, you know, I played basketball and stuff like that until everyone kept growing and I didn't. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, primarily I played tennis, golf, hockey, soccer, lacrosse were kind of my main ones I played, you know, and then once kind of middle school ended and you had to kind of start focusing a little bit more throughout high school, I played, uh, soccer and lacrosse, uh, and ice hockey. Gotcha. And then at what point did lacrosse start becoming the sport where you started thinking, Hey, this is something I might be able to play at the next level, especially since you started playing so late. Yeah, you know, I think um, for me, lacrosse, I would kind of loved lacrosse since I first saw it. You know, mm -hmm. I used to watch like MILL games and NLL games on uh, TV when I was a kid, uh, right. like box games. And um, so just growing up, I always loved loved it and loved the idea of it. So mm -hmm. I think once I kind of started playing, I was all in, you know, it immediately after, you know, my first week of playing it pretty much jumped to the top of my priority list. Right. Gotcha. You know, and so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so eighth grade I played, you know, I was a midi and an attacker. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of bounced between those two roles. And then, um, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to go to college and, and play college lacrosse and all that stuff. I knew, you know, I really wasn't a good, I wasn't a great hockey player. I was a good skater, but, mm -hmm. uh, not, not super skilled right. or uh, big enough, you know, so um, I loved hockey, but I knew I wasn't really going too far with it. And then soccer, I, I love soccer and still to this day, it's my favorite thing to watch and, mm -hmm. and all that. But, uh, you know, again, I was I was an OK soccer player, right, you know, right. and, and so um, but I, I loved lacrosse more than any of them immediately. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went all in as soon as I started playing and then um I think, you know, my freshman year, uh, when I switched positions, I switched, uh, and became a goalie. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I was, I was a decent attacker midfielder or whatever it was, but, uh, you know, I took to goalie pretty quickly. Um, right. and so I think that's when it really went from like, okay, this is something I hope to make happen to like, okay, this is something I think I can really do. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, uh, and so, so I'm curious, so what, you know, around that time when you, when you start playing lacrosse for the first time, what did you do to sort of, you know, to sort of pick up the game, um, you know, to sort of make up for the, for playing the game so late or, or starting so late? You know, I, I think starting the game late was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, just in a sense of like, you know, realistically, it's awesome to pick it up early. It's awesome to start playing and, uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth, whatever grade. Um, but for me, starting a little bit later was great because I felt like I had um, so much ground to make up. Hmm. You know, I think the fact that I picked it up late made me very motivated. And the fact that not only did I pick it up late, but I was from a non-traditional area. Right. It made me um, very motivated. And, and every single day, you hmm. know, as much as I could, I was out there getting extra work in. You know, I don't think... a in those first couple of years I played, you know, I, I can't even think about how many days went by where I didn't play, 
Hmm. you know, in some capacity, whether it was wall ball, whether it was, you know, shooting, whether it was, um, you know, when I was, a, when I started playing goalie, seeing shots and, and working on outlets and different things like that. So I think, um, you know, the, the fact that I started playing late was a blessing for me because it just kind of lit that fire underneath me and made me, um, motivated and made me feel like, you know, okay, if you really want to do something with this, if you really want this to be, um, you know, your ticket, uh, you better get to work. Right. Right. So it, it gave you a little bit of a, of almost a chip on your shoulder. Exactly. Yeah, for right. sure. And, and I think, uh, you know, that, that paired with, um, you know, I knew it was from a non-traditional area. I knew I had to, I knew at that time I had to work hard, uh, just to, you know, have an opportunity. Right. Whereas, you know, if you're maybe from the Northeast or from one of those more traditional areas, you can kind of fall into opportunities, Right. you right. know? And, and for me, I think I never dreamed of what my life became, what my career became, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. if I can just get, if I can get in at any college program, I'll be happy. Right. Right. You Makes know, sense. And, yep. and, and so that was, um, you know, I think that was just kind of where I was coming from with everything. And then again, pair that with the fact that, uh, you know, I was never supposed to play lacrosse in the first place. Right. So, um, you know, I think all those things kind of contributed to me just, you know, having a little bit of a chip on the shoulder and and wanting to work hard and being committed to everything I was doing. Right. So can you tell us how you ended up at Limestone? Uh, yeah. So, um, freshman year I played at Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. um you know so I, I played there my freshman year and I made Canada's U19 team so I'm a Canadian right. citizen I grew up in Dallas but uh both my parents are Canadian we spent a lot of time up there all that stuff so um I made Canada's U19 team I just went to open tryouts out in um uh Toronto and made that team and um so I was at Robert Morris and then um you know, played in the 2008 U19 world championships. We won a silver medal. I did really well. And, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately that summer and into that fall afterwards, uh, we had a lot of family issues going on and, mm-hmm. and a lot of different things like that happening where situations changed and, um, you know, Robert Morris wasn't uh, the best fit for me anymore. Right. You know, and, and I loved it there. And Andrew McMahon, who's doing a great job there, uh, was, the assistant coach at the time and bear Davis who coached the Ohio machine was the head coach at the time, you know, and loved both of them and all that. So it was a great program. Um, mm-hmm. really, really grateful for my time there, but you know, I kind of saw leaving Robert Morris's my first adult decision in life and me having to do something to really help my family. And, mm-hmm. and um, so I ended up, uh, going to limestone. Um, right. and again, best decision I ever made was going to limestone and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the coaching staff there, uh, was phenomenal. I had, uh, coach Serena, who's the athletic director there now. Um, he, he was great. And, uh, and then my senior year, JB Clark, who's been there and been obviously incredibly successful since getting there, um, came in and, and he was awesome. And, you know, Chris Barrett was our recruiting coordinator and, and got me there and he's at uh, Belmont Abbey now who's been doing a good job with them. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no limestone was a, a great opportunity. And I think they saw me, uh, you know, that 
Team Canada and, and being successful there right. kind of opened the door for me being able to transfer and, and then being aware of me and all that. Right. So, so it sounds like, um, you know, you had a little bit of a family issue, which, you know, contributed to you transferring schools. But I'm curious, you know, because you had the experience at, at two different schools, what advice, what advice do you give today to incoming freshmen about how they should think through that decision when they're, you know, deciding on what school they should go to to make sure that it's a right fit? You know, I, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, it has to be the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. And you have to think, what do you want out of your, what do you want out of your career? What do you want out of your experience? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because again, I, I played division one, I, I played division two, I went to Robert Morris. Um, you know, it was a newer program at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, they, they were starting to, we were starting to get some good wins and be a little bit more competitive and all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, there at RMU, we were playing in a situation where if you win the conference championship, that was the best thing you could ever hope for. Right. Right. Which is a huge accomplishment, right? Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to win a conference championship, especially in division one, you make the tournament, you're on TV, all that stuff. It's great. You know, but at the end of the day too, when I went to limestone and we're number one in the country and we're, now expected to win our conference championship and competing for national championships and playing in final fours and national championship games and things like that. Like, um, it's a different experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's one that I absolutely loved and adored. And it taught me so much about, um, myself and teamwork and, um, working towards a common goal and and things like that. And then Mm -hmm. on top of that, you know, it was, it's a small school. You know, and for me, I went to a small high school. Um, it was a tight knit community, you know, all that stuff. So that was comfortable for me, mm-hmm. you know. So I think um, at the end of the day, you've got to look at it from all angles. And I, unfortunately, I feel like, you know, hopefully with these new recruiting rules, that'll kind of change and people will know a little bit more what they're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, and a little bit more what's kind of important, what really matters to them. But the, the unfortunate thing is too many, I think, kids make um, their recruiting decisions based off of, uh, you know, what are my friends going to think? Is right. this going to be a good picture to post on social media? Is right. this going to impress people? What's right. their locker room like? Oh, they got iPads in their lockers. I'm going there. You right. know, that type right. of stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's cool for a little bit. But what I found is it doesn't matter how nice or how bad your facilities are, things like that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's just going to become normal to you. Right. Right. You know, and, and so you could have the best setup you could ever imagine. You could have all the bells and whistles and all the technology and the newest, greatest things, blah, blah, blah. But after a while, that allure is going to is going to, you know, kind of die off and mm-hmm. um, it's just going to become normal. And then you're just going to be living that life and you're going to have to decide, is that really the place that makes you happy? Because all those other things that seem so cool when you're going through the process you find out maybe they don't really matter as much as you thought they would. Your recom- your recommendation would be, uh, you know, the players should think more about the experience that they want um, or what the experience exactly. is going to be like in college, what experience they're, they're hoping for. Right. What, what do you want out of your experience? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? You know, do you want to go to a school like, you know, we talk to girls all the time that are, are – oh, I'm getting recruited by North Carolina, Duke or Syracuse or whatever. And it's like, that's awesome. You know, if you have that opportunity, if you have that experience, that's great. But, and if you're cool to go there and maybe you may not ever start a game, Mm -hmm. you may play four games your career, 
Right. You know, that type of stuff. And some people are great with that. And, mm. you know, I'm in no position to tell them that's not what you should want, right. you know, because some people just want to be a part of that, like really successful team and, and be along for the ride and be great practice players and all that. And I support mm. that. And those people are important. You know, that's a huge asset to the team and that's great. Mm. Right. But then some people also want to be the star player. Right. You know, they want to be the girl, they want to be the guy, they want to be the go-to person. So, yeah, maybe you were getting recruited by these Division One schools where you could just be another guy or you could go to this Division Two school and be an all-star and set mm-hmm. some records and compete for national championships and things like that, you know, right. or, or go to a lower Division One school or different things, you know. So I don't think the positive thing about it is there's not a right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Right. Gotcha. You know, yeah. there's not a right or wrong answer. It's it's whatever you want. Right. It's whatever your experience is. And, and, you know, just like people like different foods and different colors and things like that, people want different experiences and want different things. And that's what's right. so great about the whole process. It's just important that you're looking at it from a, from the right perspective. Right, right. And the the important thing is, is that, you know, the, the girls or guys, they need to decide for themselves what's going to work for them. Right, right. Right. Because again, you know, this person's path, like your teammates path may not be your path. Right. Exactly. Right. And then the other, uh, the only two other pieces of advice that I kind of consistently try to throw out there and try to make sure people understand is that, um, you know, one, the recruiting process is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, you run into kids, we talk to kids all the time that are like, oh, well, all these girls on my team are committing and I want to commit, or this kid just committed to this school and I feel like I'm way better than her and I don't have any offers or I don't have as many offers or whatever, you know, and I understand, like I was like that when I was, uh, in high school too. And I understand how difficult it can be and, how frustrating it is and all that. But at the end of the day, the recruiting process is, is really difficult. Like you got to think about it from a perspective of for a college coach to see you play is very difficult. Right. You know, and especially if you want them to see you play, like, you know, you have to hope that they're watching that field in that half at that time when you Mm -hmm. make that move and that they're paying attention and not writing a note or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know? So at the end of the day, like that's why all these high school coaches and club coaches and college coaches are all saying, like, if you really like someone, you know, make sure you have a highlight tape, right? Make sure you get to camps and clinics and things like that. Because Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, recruiting at these big, massive tournaments is important, but a lot of it's dumb luck too, Mm -hmm. you know, in a sense of that coach just happened to see it. Right. You know, but at the end of the day, too, on the flip side of it, right? So, yes, in some cases that may work against you if there's a school you really, really want to go to because the odds of that happening are so low, you know, um, that's where you got to get out to those camps and clinics and stuff like that. But on the flip side, the really cool thing about these big tournaments is someone's going to see you, right? you know, and then you may get an opportunity from some of these schools that you never know exist, never knew existed, or you mm-hmm. never knew um, anything about them. You know, they may have been not anywhere near your list 
Mm-hmm. And then they reach out, you start doing research, you're like, okay, maybe this is a good place. You visit, you fall in love with it, all that stuff. So, right. you know, it's, it, it's kind of a, a crazy, the recruiting process is a little bit crazy. Right. It's uh, very random and very, uh, you know, uh, I guess like a game of chance, you know, right. at the end of the day, but um you know, I guess that's where you got to just have to have faith that everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. Right, right. Um, so, so let's um, let's let's drill down on this just a little bit. So, uh, I'm curious, would you you know recommend for uh, you know a young guy or girl who's thinking about college? You know, let's say they're the sophomores or juniors in high school. Um, would you recommend you know like they pick their what like f- top five to seven schools, maybe attend a few of their camps? And then, um, you know, hope to, to fill in the blank pieces at, at tournaments. Um, is, is that yeah. sort of like the formula that you would, that you recommend they follow? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a good way to go about it. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's a good way to go about it is really sit down and make a list, but, you know, again, write out those priorities for you, right. you know, write out, maybe make a couple columns, you know, write out your non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. You know, I got my non-negotiables. I want this major i want this size school i want to be in this part of the country whatever right Mm -hmm. so if you have those non-negotiables that's a really good thing because that'll help you keep everything in perspective too especially as more and more options start to come in right right Right. and then okay hey this is what i think i want you know and then these are the things that i know i don't want Mm -hmm. right and if you have that you know obviously everything changes from time to time and stuff like that and and viewpoints change and all that. But I think that's a really good um, way to kind of lay it out there and then start doing research. You know, Mm -hmm. for example, if every kid just goes, okay, my top five are Maryland, Northwestern, um, you know, Princeton, Syracuse, and, uh, you know, North Carolina, right? Well, that's probably a pretty tough road to go. Right. You know, because a lot of people are going to have those as their, as their top five, right. You know, and you're competing against really every other kid in the country, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I think it's really good to, to spread it out a little bit, give yourself options, explore different types of schools, different sizes, um, you know, different, I don't want to say different types of commitment levels, but you know, different types of programs, I guess you could say different types right. of conferences, that mm-hmm. type of stuff, gotcha. um, you know, and then my other advice is when a school reaches out to you, don't blow off anyone, you know, at least look into it, at least look into it. And, you know, if they send you an email or if they give you a call, you know, always be appreciative, always Mm. be, you know, friendly, you know, professional, all that stuff. Because again, all of us coaches know each other. Right. Right. You know, and if if I don't know that coach, right, there's a pretty good chance. There's at least, there's like one degree of separation between us. Right. (laughs) Right. I'm pretty sure. I know someone that knows someone for everyone in the country. Right. <laughs> right. right. So yep. I think it, it gets around, you know, mm-hmm. coaches talk. We don't have a whole lot going on when we sit on those sidelines for about 10 hours a day all summer. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, we talk to each other and, and we'll say, Hey, I had this phone call. You'll never believe how that went. Right. right? right. And, and this, that, and the other. So, yep. um, you know, you have heard, unfortunately, um, of, certain kids not having the best reputations because of how they've handled certain situations. 
you know, right. and all that stuff. So right. um, I think it's just important. Like it's a really good opportunity for you to start learning professional relationship building and mm-hmm. how to present yourself and, and all that. Right. And, and so, and so one, one final question on the recruiting aspect, um, you know, let's yeah. say uh, a kid is reaching out to you. Um, you know, they haven't, they haven't had the opportunity to go to a camp yet. You know, maybe it's even before that. Uh, and you mentioned you'd like them to send a, a highlight reel, but what does that outreach look like? How would you prefer that? Um, you know, an email with transcripts and a full game and a highlight reel, or, you know, what does that look like? What's the, what, what do you want from them? Yeah. You know, you know, everyone's different, right? Everyone's different. Every coach looks for different things, wants different things, all that stuff. I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing is unless they're like from Australia or England or somewhere where, they're not super accessible to actually see them play. Mm. Very few people are going to get recruited strictly off of highlight tapes. Right. Right. So having a highlight tape is awesome because it's a really great way for us to reference you, to check back on you, to Mm. get really interested. Right. When you send that first email, Hey coach, I'm playing this tournament. I'd love, I'd love for you to come see me play, you know, include that highlight tape in there because then we can, um, check in on you and, and know what we're getting into and know what to expect or, and then it's also great because then let's say we go out there and we really love what we see, you know, not every coach is going to be at that tournament, right. From that staff. So it's a great way for me to be like, Hey, I saw this kid. She was crushing it. Like mm-hmm. here's her highlight tape, you know, right. and then the rest of our staff can look at it. Right. Or especially when it's assistants going out on the road, having to come back to the head coach and say, Hey, here's this kid, you know, check her out, whatever it may be. Um, so I think, you know, every coach wants different things. Every coach handles it differently. But from my perspective, I don't think the emails need to be super long, you know, short, quick, um, to the point. My perspective on it is I don't need um, schedules. Like just tell me what tournament you're at, what team you play for, what number you are, you know, and then um, we'll find you from there. You gotcha. know, and then, um, and then, you know, include a highlight tape all that give us a little bit of background mm-hmm. and uh you know if you can put anything in there that makes it really look like you did some research on the school you know what you're asking about mm-hmm. that's a bonus right? right but um yeah gotcha makes sense makes sense um so so let's jump in uh you know to your to your coaching career a little bit um so first what made you want to start coaching um you know i think Going through the process, or just through high school, through recruiting, all that stuff, I think it was just something that I always thought about. Um, So I knew I either wanted to be a coach, a sports agent, or a defense attorney were the three Mm. things that I think I wanted to be. Um, So, uh, you know, I was looking at it, have to go to law school for two of them. I wasn't the best (laughs) student in the world. So uh, I kind of just fell into um, the coaching aspect of it. And, you know, I think that's what I really wanted to do the most anyway. Um, and so I wanted to keep it going. And and so when I graduated, I, um, I moved back to Dallas and, and I had been working, uh, for Chris Duran who runs, uh, Iron Horse Lacrosse out of Dallas. Um, basically my whole through high school, 
through college, all that stuff. He was a great bully. And, and uh, you know, my my family, we didn't really necessarily afford the, the lessons. So he would let me work his clinics when I was in high school, like moving goals around and doing registrations and stuff like that. And then he'd give me lessons in return. Right. You know, so um, I had a good relationship with him all through high school, college, a lot of stuff. And then um, when I graduated, I, I jumped in with him and helped him start running an iron horse full time. And during that time, I also became a, a girls high school varsity coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, things just kind of took off from there. Um, gotcha. But I think, you know, I did uh, when I was in college, Limestone is very athlete centered. Um, so I was a sports management major and I had a coaching minor and for my coaching minor, I had to do an internship and I ended up doing it with our women's lacrosse program. Um, and Scott Tucker out there and he, uh, just kind of showed me the ropes and showed me what college lacrosse on the back end was really like. And that's when I kind of thought like, that's what I want to do. Someday. Gotcha. So, uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit just so I make sure that I, I get you out of here on time. Um, but can you talk about how the opportunity became available uh, at Furman? Yeah. Um, so I was at Limestone as my first uh, as my first college coaching job as a, an assistant coach at Limestone College, and then um, from there I had an opportunity at University of Vermont. So I was at Vermont for two years, and then uh, when Jen Johnson, you know, stepped down as head coach. Um, as it is in, you know, college sports, the rest of the staff is, you know, stepping down too. Right. Right. And so, um, I just started looking for jobs and looking for opportunities and I loved South Carolina. I knew Furman, you know, what a beautiful school it was Mm -hmm. and, um, a little bit about their program just from my time down at Limestone, which is only about 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes away from there. Um, so I knew a bit about it from that and, um, I ended up, uh, you know, just applying for the position and mm-hmm. it worked out. Um, so I was at Furman for a year and it was a phenomenal experience. Right. And so, you know, looking at your time there, it looks like, um, you know, look, you were the defensive coordinator, goalies coach and the recruiting coordinator. So it looks like you, you did a lot. Um, <laughs> can you talk about, um, I guess, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned that year? Yeah, well, you know, I was really fortunate. Um, Rachel Witten, who's the the head coach there, um, I was really fortunate that she just gave me so much room to work and she gave me a lot of responsibility and trusted me a lot, which, you know, especially now as a head coach, I've learned how that's not the easiest thing to do. Right. You know, so um, I think for her, from that standpoint, I'm very grateful to her because she really helped prepare me for to be a head coach in a sense of like learning by doing you know, and, mm-hmm. and learning how, like, if we had a recruiting meeting, she'd be like, okay, you can run this meeting, you know, and different things right. like that. So um, that was an incredible experience from that standpoint. And then mm-hmm. also the fact that it was a newer program, you know, we were mm-hmm. o- they were only in the third uh, varsity season, I believe. Um, so, you know, we were still establishing a culture, you know, you were still having to do a lot of skill development and, um work on that and you were having to learn how to sell different things and how to sell a vision from a recruiting standpoint and all that, which, you know, we're running into here at, at Bucknell a lot where I, I think about my time at Furman was massive, you know, right. because 
we had to sell them on the future. We had to sell them on what they what they're going to do for this program and how they're going to help write the history books and how they're mm-hmm. going to be a part of this legacy and all that stuff. And so here at Bucknell, when we're in a process of changing a culture and, and trying to build towards a future and things like that, I think um, that was, you know, from a recruiting perspective, that was that year at Furman was one of the most important years I've ever had just because I learned so much and learned how to recruit in different ways. Right. So can you, can you talk about how you ended up at Bucknell as the head coach? Yeah. So, um, basically, um, loved Furman, loved Rachel, loved the staff, the girls, everything about it was great. Um, but I also told Rachel, I said, Hey, you know, I do want to be a head coach and, Mm -hmm. um, and so if something pops up that I'm interested in, I'm just going to apply, you know, right. and, and I didn't have any really expectations, I guess you could say for it. Right. Like I was just saying, Hey, um, this job looks like a good one. Throw my name in, see what happens. Right. You know? And, and, um, so I applied for the Bucknell position and, they um, offered me an interview. So I, I did a phone interview and uh, I was working Syracuse's camp at the time. So I did my phone interview in Gary Gates office and um, <laughs> uh, which was, you know, a cool experience. And he right. was my coach for when I played for team Canada and stuff. So it's kind of funny how everything kind of came back full circle, I guess. Right. Um, but so I did my phone interview and um, this would have been in like, like late June, I guess it would have been. Mm-hmm. And it was the same year as World Cup, and I was uh, an often I was uh, assistant coach for the um, Welsh national team at the time. So, you know, I said to him, I was like, "Hey, when are you guys trying to do on-campus interviews?" And they said, "You know, in a week or two weeks." And I said, "Well, okay. Well, I have to go to England in like four days for about the next three and a half weeks." Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, they're like, all right, well, that doesn't really work with our timeline. So we kind of went our different ways and I just really expected, okay, that was it, you know, but it was a cool experience in the sense of getting, you know, I had that phone interview. I talked to that panel, like I learned from it. I can use that experience going forward with my next one. Mm -hmm. Um, and ironically when we were in England, um, you know, again, it'd been, you know, two, three weeks, I hadn't heard anything from them. So I was like, okay, that's done. Right. Um, and I, I knew they had had some other people on campus and stuff and um, we're warming up for a game and someone just starts yelling, you know, from on top of the bleachers down at the warm-up field. They're like, Hey, coach Steele, coach Steele, how'd your interview at, for, er, at Bucknell go? Huh. And I look up and it's this guy wearing Belgium gear. And it turns out one of our players uh, at Bucknell, Sophia Kleber was, um, you know, a captain for Belgium, uh, for the right. Belgium national team. So, uh, he's huh. like, how's your interview at Bucknell going? I'm like, how, how does this guy even know that that happens? Right. <laughs> you know, and he kind of, I'm like, yeah, you know, um, I'm not their guy, but, uh, you know, it's a good experience. I'm sure we'll get someone great, you know? Right. And then, uh, he's like, Oh, well we heard, uh, you know, you were on campus or whatever. I'm like, nah, just on the phone. He goes, Oh, okay. And then literally, uh, you know, two days later, I got a call from them asking if when I got back from Europe, if I could uh, come for an interview. So hmm. still to this day, I don't know if that guy somehow knew if uh, Soph's dad somehow knew uh, more than I did at the time or what. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it just kind of came like that. So, um, 
I got back from uh, I got back from Europe, and then the next day I went out to Lewisburg for the uh, interview, and um, I think took the job. I got offered the job the next day and started like three days later. So it was kind of a wow. crazy week. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so, uh, so I'm, I'm curious with, with the, with the lessons that you learned from, uh, from Furman, you know, with, the um, you know, being the recruiting, uh, recruiting coordinator and, you know, being able to communicate the vision, um, uh, you know, now that you're a new head coach for Bucknell, how do you approach setting the tone for the team? How are you making sure that, you know, your current players or even new players coming in understand, you know, what it means to be a Bucknell lacrosse player. You know, I think that's something we're still working on, right? Mm-hmm. And it's still a process and, and it takes time. You know, you right. can't make change overnight and you can't get, um, you can't, you know, get everyone to buy in all at once and, and things like that. So, you know, I'm really, really happy with the direction we're going in. And I'm incredibly fortunate because the group of players we have are, very open-minded and very great kids and, and very hardworking and motivated mm-hmm. um, and focused, which is great. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, Bucknell is a very strong academic school. And so you get those very smart, those very headstrong, those very motivated um, student athletes at those types of schools, right. you know, so it's positive. It's been really, really positive in that sense because um, getting the buy-in hasn't been difficult, mm-hmm. you know, but, it's still a process making those changes and getting them to adjust to a different style of play, getting them to adjust to a different type of culture, a different type of practice, you yeah. know, a different type of environment, a different type of game plan, a different type of preparation, all those mm-hmm. things. It, it's a process. Right. And, you know, the way I like to do it and the way I'm comfortable doing it and used to doing it and all that stuff is very different than the way it was done before, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it's definitely not a case of right or wrong or anything like that. It's just a case of different. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us, it, it's been that adjustment period. But the positive thing is we're starting to to hit those points where we can mm-hmm. say, like, like, OK, we're right on the edge. We're right, right on the edge. and We just need that one more step to kind of get over the hump, you know. Right. So right. it's a really exciting time. And, and um, you know, it was hard initially because you want that instant gratification and you want as a coach and as a player you want to feel like all the work you're putting in is paying off. And sometimes short-sightedly, it's tough to see that. Right. And it's hard to see as it's happening. Um, But, you know, as time goes on, you can see the vision, you can see the future. And and the positive thing is our girls see that and, and um, our recruits see that, you know, we have three uh, girls that are listed in inside lacrosse top 100 committed for 2020. Mm-hmm. you know and some very strong players so i feel great about you know our first recruiting class as a um as a staff because we were able to get you know great elite level players to see the vision that we're trying to sell right, and we were able right. to sell you know a bunch of those 2019 players that were already committed when we got here mm-hmm. sell them on the vision that we're trying to create and why this is still the best fit for them and still the mm-hmm. right place for them to be you know as well as the girls on the team Mm-hmm. And so, and so when you, you know, when you come on board, uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's going to be tough to get some buy-in. It's not going to happen right away. What are some of the things that you've done to get the buy-in from, you know, some of the girls that were already there? 
You know, I think um, for us, we try to make practice just the best part of their day, mm-hmm. right? So especially the school, like, especially the school where it is very heavy academically and it is a very difficult thing. Like, we want this to be a time, you know, whether it's, you know, two hours, whatever it is during the day that they don't have to stress about school and they don't have to stress about all that and they can just enjoy getting out, moving around, being with their friends, you know, and then, but all at the same time working towards, you know, a common goal, you know, so we do little things like we do, um, like mini teams. So all fall, everything that they do, um, they get points for, you know, and every drill they can get points and cleaning up the field, their, their little teams get points for every ball they pick up and different things like that. And we keep track of the points all through the fall and, and, uh, you know, there's a champion at the end of the, you know, fall season. Um, you know, we do things trying to, um, make them be competitive and get them excited and get them used to stressful situations. So like, for example, after every drill, um, we call, you know, as soon as any drill ends, we go to an eight meter spot. We have one shooter, two defenders and a goalie, and, uh, they have to take an eight meter. And if the uh, shooter scores, then the defense is running a sprint. If the defense stops them, then the offense is running a sprint, you know, and different things like that to just try to build competition and build excitement and, and get them, you know, excited about practice and excited about competing and all that. So, Gotcha. And so uh, I'm just curious with these mini teams, you said, you know, at the end of the fall, you count up all the points, there will be a champion. Um, yeah. What is the, what is the champion team? get uh or you know what happens to the losers (laughs) yeah we have a uh uh, a trophy that's uh on a big base and we're we put a a plaque for every year you know so Uh, the team whatever the team name is they get a plaque for every year and, and you know the this is another thing that um you know coach clark did when i was at limestone and and uh coach witten did when i was at Furman that that I kind of stole and brought with me is, um, you know, those teams that they're in, those team names never change. And Hmm. so it's kind of another kind of subgroup inside the team. So when they come back, you know, when they come back after graduating a couple of years down the road, you can kind of say like, oh, I was a part of this team, but I was also a part of this mini team, you know, and it's just kind of another thing to, to bond them together down the road so gotcha makes sense makes sense um so uh let's quickly touch on on practice what a practice is like for you guys can you walk us through what a typical in-season practice is like yeah you know we try to go my view on it is i want us to go as fast and as intense as possible the whole time and that means we don't have to be out there that long mm-hmm. you know so i think you know, we say to the girls all the time, like, we're not on any type of time limit. We don't have to be out here for X amount of time. So um, if you go hard and we get what we need to get done in an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half, then that's all the time it took. Right. You know, and if you're dragging, if you're going slow, if we have to do things longer, if you're not focused and we're out here an hour 45, two hours, 2.15, whatever, then that's on you guys kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So most of our practices are designed to be right around an hour and a half, an hour 45, unless we're doing like scout or different things like that, where there's a little bit more standing and talking and, and all that. But um, right. so normally um, 
show up, they, they get a dynamic stretch in, um, and then we always do some kind of stick work, uh, at least one stick work drill. A lot of times, maybe two stick work drills. Um, you know, sometimes we'll do just uh, kind of like some kind of non-competitive stick work, non-marked, just get the sticks going, work on different things, work on something that we may need for whatever the install is that, that week or something that we've been pract- uh, uh, struggling with during games or practices. And then we may add something competitive to it. Um, but all the drills that we do, we try to, you know, have a purpose behind and and try to work on a skill set that, you know, either we're struggling with or we know we're going to need for the upcoming game or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so once we've done the stick work, we'll do one of those pressure eight meters, we call them, that we mm-hmm. talked about. And then um, we'll go from that. We do a lot of position split stuff. So a lot of skill group, um, position groups, focus stuff. So like the attack um, we'll go do normally it's some kind of shooting or dodging the shooting or feeding or whatever it is. The mm-hmm. defense will go work on, you know, footworks or approaches or checking or clearing something along those lines. And then the middies will normally send with one group or the other. Um, and we kind of flip that around a little bit. And then when we finish that position work, another pressure eight meter, then it's generally some kind of, um, you know, it kind of varies them. We'll just go into normal drills. Um, you know, we try to do a lot of transition stuff, a lot of running gun stuff, a lot of stuff to just keep heart rates up, get some of that hidden conditioning in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and stuff that's going to maybe make the players a little bit uncomfortable so that they're kind of comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, so we do a lot of transition stuff. We do a lot of tight quarter stuff um, so that, you know, defenders are used to, keeping pressure on player uh, on the offensive players and the offensive players are used to being pressured and being in tight quarters and having to protect and different things like that. Um, and then, so we'll normally do one or two of those drills. Um, and then that's when we get into our more um, like game specific type drills. So, you know, we do a lot of one possession games, we call them where it's mm-hmm. like a, a draw to a settled possession, ride, settled possession, ride, and then we reset it. So that's kind of how we practice our rides and clears and how we get a little bit of seven on seven work in there. And then we may end with a, we may end with 77. Um, we may end with some kind of more uh, transition into 77 or some more full field type stuff, but. Gotcha. And so, uh, you know, especially since you're all about keeping the pace up, um, is there a practice plan that's shared with the players beforehand? Uh, nope, nope. So we don't share the practice plan with the players beforehand because mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things of uh, get used to adapting, gotcha. right? Learn to adjust, learn to adapt. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing I found is like if when you share practice plans with the team beforehand, sometimes um, if there's a drill that they really don't like or mm-hmm. if you have like a drill that they know has a lot of running in it or something like that, then they may be that kind of looms over their head for the whole practice right. or they maybe try to save themselves a little bit more because they know they have that coming at the end or whatever it may be, right. you know? So for us, we just say, Hey, you know, we'll sometimes, you know, if it's like bad weather's coming or whatever, and we want to just roll through things even quicker, mm-hmm. we may tell them ahead of time, like, all right, this is what we're doing. Be ready to go, you know, right. or if it's cold or, raining or different things like that but for the most part it's just they learn to adjust and they find out right before the drill happens um Mm -hmm. just like in a game you're not gonna 
you're not necessarily going to know what the other team's going to do right away or what to expect. Right, right. And so how do you guys as a coaching staff decide on what drills you guys are going to focus on during a practice? Um, we have a we have a meeting every single day um, just to go over practice and and plan practice and things like that. And, and what I try to do is, is I try to say, hey, let's not talk about practice at all until that meeting so that everyone can kind of get their own ideas together. Hmm. Right. Or maybe if, you know, Princess Abel, who runs our defense, right. If I'm like, hey, I really think our defense needs to work on this. Can you start thinking about some drills you may want to do? You know, or with Taylor Sendall, who does our offense, I'll say the same thing. Right. Or they may come in and say, hey, I want to work on this. Think about, you know, if you have anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's a very collaborative effort for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone kind of um, plays a big role and, and has a say in what we do. And, um, and yeah, so right. basically we have that meeting. I say, hey, what do you guys, what do you guys need to want to do what do we want to work on what do we need to accomplish here today and and they may say hey i want to do this and throughout a drill and someone may have a better drill for it or whatever so we mm-hmm. try to keep it collaborative we try to uh keep everyone involved we try to you know we'll spend a lot of time looking up drills or creating drills um or things like that i think that's something i learned from scott tucker at limestone he was very very good at just making drills for different situations so I think that's something that I'm decent at now in large part thanks to him because he was very good at just like, well, does anyone have a drill for this? And we're like, no. He goes, okay, I got it. And he'll just draw one up, you know. Just make one up on the spot. um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we do a bit of that, but then we also do a lot of, um, you know, like defensively we've started doing a ton of stuff from like basketball drills, like adapted basketball drills. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for transition stuff, a lot of our transition stuff is ice hockey drills, mm-hmm. you know, because ice hockey is basically all transition, right. you know, right. and, and even little things like, you know, a bunch of times this year, we had the the team play like touch rugby beforehand because we watched, you know, there's a great series on Amazon Prime about the New Zealand All Blacks. And um, so they got into it that way. But we also mm-hmm. realized that like rugby and the way they move the ball and the way they have to keep their positioning and recognize pressure early and move the ball quickly and things like that is a lot like the clear. And there's a lot, uh, a lot of decision-making and recognition and teamwork and stuff like that. So a lot of times for warmups, we'd have the girls play touch rugby and, and just get them used to seeing and recognizing and making decisions on time, hmm. you know? So, right. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned, you know, you'll try to you'll try to incorporate like a basketball drill. I know this might be difficult to sort of describe over the phone, but can you can you give us an example of a drill that you've taken directly from basketball? Um, you know, I think a lot of it is just um, like closeout approach type stuff, right? So mm-hmm. if it's defensively, it's closeouts to approaches to recovers, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the footwork piece of it's it's very similar. One V one defense is, is very similar or the same, right. you know, all that. So, um, you know, I think in a lot of cases, sports or sports, being an athlete is being an athlete, mm-hmm. you know, and then the rest of it is just making it fit your sport. Right. right. So we'll take, you know, how do they play? How does, you know, 
like Coach K, we found a bunch of drills from Coach K. How does Coach K teach Duke to play defense? How does Coach Cal teach um, Kentucky to play defense? You know, or how do they box out for rebounds? We do those on draws, right. you know, and, and that type of stuff. So um, I think it's just kind of if you're not, you know, as to be the best possible coach you can be, to be the best possible team you can be, you have to use all your resources. Right. And if you're sticking strictly to lacrosse, you know, you're not using all your resources. Right. Yeah. Right? Like if you're, you're only you're... talking to lacrosse coaches, if you're not talking, if you're only looking for inspiration from play wise, tactics wise, drill wise, practice wise, all that stuff in lacrosse, you're destroying the bulk of your resources. Right. Yeah. yeah makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and then so, so finally last, our last two questions and then I'll get you out of here. Um, can you talk real quick about how you prepare for upcoming opponent, um, for an upcoming opponent? What does that week look like? Let's say, you know, let's say it's a Monday and you have a game on Saturday. Um, what are you guys doing that week to prepare your team? So normally how we look at it is, um, you know, Monday and Tuesday, we kind of try to keep specific to our program. You know, we try to use, especially Monday. Monday to work on, um, we try to use especially Monday to work on things that we know we may need to work on from the last game. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, we had big problems with this. Let's work on it. You know, Mondays especially, we try not even to think about the next opponent. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to think about ourselves. We try to think about the last game. We try to think about just becoming a better team and getting to where we need to be. Tuesdays kind of vary. Um, again, a lot of development, a lot of focus on ourselves there. And then, you know, we may start um, putting stuff for the next opponent in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sometimes we'll tell the team, okay, hey, pay attention because this is something that we're going to need for next week. Or um, sometimes we won't tell them so that then when they see it or when they see it's part of the game plan, they're like, oh, that's just like this one drill we did. So it just kind of depends on what it is, what the situation is, all that stuff. Um, Wednesday is a little bit more of the same. Um, and then Thursday is when we really start hitting it hard, um, start hitting it hard for our scouting and things like that. We'll do our scout, uh, our film meetings, our scouting report meetings Thursday before practice. Um, you know, most of our drills that we do on uh, Thursdays will be uh, geared towards whatever the game plan is or whatever we need to be prepared for with our next opponent. And then 77, we'll start our scout stuff. Um and, you know, we have uh, a phenomenal scout team. That's one of the things we've done to try to make everyone feel like they have a role is, you know, some of the players that may not be playing as much during the games, we, you know, put them in charge of being on the scout team. And, you know, hey, you're in charge of being, you know, number seven from Loyola, right? You'd be the best number seven from Loyola you could be, right? And you run their plays and you do her moves and you do that perfectly. So even if on Saturday you don't play a single minute in the game, you know you helped us win, you know, or you know you helped us be competitive or whatever it is, right? So um, we do that. And, and the other thing we've started doing is we have the scout team. The scout team wears these lime green jerseys. So just lime green strictly because we knew uh, no other team is that color. And right. so we know, okay, if you're wearing this this green jersey, this isn't your teammate. Mm-hmm. If they're wearing that green jersey, that's the other team, right? And it's just getting used to to looking at them as, 
you know, for lack of a better word, maybe these faceless players right. where you just have to have to go out there and compete. Right. And, and, you know, different things like that. So, um, yeah, that's Thursday. And then, uh, Friday is a little bit more of the same as Thursday. You know, we try to keep it a little bit shorter. Um, and you know, Friday is also when we normally do our, um, you know, so we do normally transitions like our rides and players transition stuff. Um, we'll do situation stuff if there's anything we feel like we need to work on a little bit more of the 77 scout and then some man up, man down stuff and, um, you know, get out of there, hopefully rested. Right. Um, yeah. So. Gotcha. Um, well coach, listen, uh, you know, we're going a little bit longer than I, than I told you it would be. So I appreciate you taking the time. I, uh, this has been a, a great conversation, but there's one question I've asked everybody who's come on the show. Um, what are three things everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a tough one, but, um, you know, my, I'll steal a line from my dad. My dad used to always say, you need three things in life to be successful. And that's mm -hmm. intensity, uh, knowledge and resources. And you can be, but his big line is you can be successful with two of them as long as one of them's intensity. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. I think the biggest thing with that is, you know, like whatever you do, whatever you're doing, you know, do it to the best of your ability, right? Mm -hmm. Don't go through the motions and anything because you never know what's going to be your ticket, right? You right. never know what you're going to fall in love with. You never know what you're going to learn from different situations and things like that. And that's why, you know, I was talking to, we have a guy that, that runs our table and does all of our timeouts and penalty times and things like that. His name's Benny. He was, you know, he works, uh, here at Bucknell in our fitness center. And then he also does our stuff. But we said to Ben, like Ben takes so much pride in, you know, keeping penalty times and right. being the horn guy and, and counting timeouts and things like that. And I said, Hey, like, you know, it's really, really admirable just to see, you know, it's not the most glamorous job in the world that you just do it. Like it's the most important thing you've ever done. Right. You know? And, and so I think those types of things have always stuck with me. Like anything you do, anything that's worth doing, like do it to the best of your ability, do it full go, never back right. up, never, you know, like never cut corners on it. And then, right. and if you do that, you'll be fine no mm -hmm. matter what. Right. You know? Awesome. Um, well, coach, listen, like I said, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more 
at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.